episode 14 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about Maracaibo. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron and I discuss our playthrough of the campaign. We'll talk about how to play the game, ways we think you can win, what we thought about the campaign, how much we liked it overall, and a lot more. We dive in pretty deep to this one. There are technically some spoilers for the campaign, but as always, if you want to know nothing about it, you're probably not listening to this podcast in the first place. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself and Aaron talking about Maracaibo. I can't believe we're recording this again, but here we are. Oh yeah, we did this once already. We did this once already. It's like deja vu all over again. We talked about it once and recorded most of it, but not all of it. Then we talked about it with Adam, and now here we are. So it should be shorter because we should be somewhat spent. The first time we did this, it was going to be easily over an hour by the time that we were done. Honestly, I think this podcast recording attempt has been a microcosm of the game. You know what? In that way, it's very fitting. It went on. Boy. And on. And we played the campaign, which we kind of fast played the campaign a little bit. We only cheated like twice. I wouldn't call it cheating. I would say that we modified it. I don't think it was full out cheating. Right. I mean, it's not cheating because who cares? Like, there, you were supposed to only push the story forward four times per game. And we didn't want to yeah. play that many games. So we just allowed yeah. ourselves to push the story but, forward more. Uh, standard game of Mark Hypo, campaign or not, is played over four rounds. And those rounds can be of variable length because as soon as someone uh, kind of finishes the loop on the Caribbean, that begins the end of the round for everybody right so the way that the campaign mode worked you were only meant to like read the story like if you completed the story you're only meant to check that at the end of a round we would just check it mid-round and therefore get a jump on the next story point very rarely did we actually ever complete two of them in one round of the game and Sometimes rounds would go by where we didn't do it at all. Yeah, so think... it averaged it out. It was pretty close to this is how fast you could play it. We did 11 games. And I think people say it typically takes 12 to maybe 15. So we we shortcut it just a little bit. But two players, we had played 11 games. And the final part of the campaign, as far as I'm concerned, wasn't um, so exciting. The very last bit wasn't yeah. so exciting that it merited playing another time a 12th time so we're getting ahead of ourselves that's further down on the list that's further down our punch list so on our punch list first we're gonna talk a little bit about how to play then how to win which is really aaron's segment we're gonna talk more about the campaign which will have some spoilers but in our opinion the campaign is not eh, it's only so you should just read the deck before you start and then decide if you want to play it it's yeah, it's not, not it's not such a captivating story that but you know, skip that if you if you so choose and then we'll finish up with did we like it and then anything else that we still have to say about Alexander Fister's Maracaibo. Last time I had it pulled up on Board Game Geek and could therefore like say little facts and things. This time we're in here no computers. No computers. No just, technology. Yeah, I'll add in the only thing that I think is missing from the computer bit, which is because we had the board game geek up thing up, or maybe not, we, we noticed pretty late in the campaign that the board and the box have basically the same art on them, which is clever. Right. So this was, I mentioned in one of the podcasts I was in with Adam, because we were doing the board game 
Oh, covers. Yeah, the game box game thing. And I realized that the top half of the Maracaibo box shows kind of like buildings and ship and that kind of thing. And then the bottom half has like a, a dense vegetation, kind of almost jungle sort of look to it. And the the name of the game is on a banner in between those. And that's really how the game board looks. At the bottom, there's an explorer track. Kind of across the middle, really, is the, the islands of the Caribbean. Yeah. And there are 20-ish villages that have been marked on different islands. I think it's 23. Sure. Um, and then at the very top of the board, it's a lot of bookkeeping along the top and edge of the board just standard euro bookkeeping as well as a track for military influence and like support this is a hard game to talk about how to play because as we realized in recounting it to others there's so many things in it once you've played 11 times like you kind of get a sense of everything and how it's wedded together yeah i feel like i was up until maybe the 10th game still learning things about it the 10th game? I Well, I mean, I think that's fair. I think that by maybe game maybe game eight, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I think I under... I mean, I was comfortable playing after game three. Oh. But then... I, I mean, yeah, I was by, not comfortable after game, game three. At game 10, I, we, we employed a strategy in game 10 that I didn't think you could win with. And I think the person who did it won. What are you talking about? Are we getting ahead into how to win? Yeah. Okay, so how to play. You have your ship. The, the main thrust of what you're doing here is traveling around the Caribbean because that is going to set the length of the round. When you move your ship, and your ship goes clockwise always. That's the way the paths go. When you move your ship, you can go one to seven spaces. And when there's only 20-some spaces, you can... You could the fastest you can go around is four turns. I think it's three because some of the paths shortcut islands. I thought even with the shortcut ones, you stop one. Uh, you stop well, one. I mean, I, you can get to the the ending trigger space in three, but then there's but one then ev- then everyone else is at four. Yeah. So, anyways, short and then of course, if everyone went one at a time, which would be oh my gosh, you'd be playing forever. You'd be playing forever, you'd and score I score so many you, points. You could score a lot of points. It would be very strange. But that would make the game, of course, imagine way, if someone way just didn't know the rule. That you could, oh, they thought that you had to move one? Oh my gosh, you t- it would take... But your turns are shorter because yeah. when you only move one, you can take one village action. And if you move seven, you can take three. So right. that's kind of the balance that you can do more things at once. And then again, there's this pacing that everyone is kind of participating in by feel of how fast is everyone else moving? Because it only takes one person going to the end. I mean, we're a two-player game, but if you were in a four-player game, just one person going to the end as fast as possible ends the round for everybody. Yeah. So once you get to that, there's a couple like slow down spaces is how I would describe them that have little like stop hands on them. So whoever gets there first, you know, gets a certain action, everyone gets a turn. And then that person goes to get, um, three victory points, three victory points, whoever got to that space right there. And then the round hard stop ends and you do kind of end of round processing. So what are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish as you go around these islands? So I feel like there's a bunch of ways to win and score. Surprisingly, oh. many of them are viable. You're already going to how to win. Oh, that's what I was doing? Well. I thought you were segueing me. No, I was just trying to make this like a oh. friendly back and forth. Oh, you did like a slow down talk. I thought you were just, I, thought, I was very impressed with the segue. Ah, uh, Well, unfortunately, I was just trying to segue you into talking about some other element of how to play. 
Oh. So I'll just I'll just circle back and do that, and then we'll keep. Well, I mean, going. I can talk about how like you know. Well, I was gonna say that you you you're taking the ship around the yeah. Caribbean. You have as a player a shipboard. Yeah. That is your quote ship and the upgrades and abilities you have as a player. So it's not completely literal because there's some things on your ship that are never ever on any any real ship. I would call the board like a tech tree, but I don't think Kelly thinks it branches enough. It's not, yeah, it's not. But, but there I, are some things you have to do first. There are some parts of it that you have to uncover first and second. The There's 12 things on there. Everything on there has two discs, two little wooden discs. And... When you vi- when you visit certain locations, there are cities and villages on the on the map. When you visit a city, as well as some other random times, you can take one of those discs off. And those discs might give you coins, like as an upgrade on your ship. You might get victory points. You might get new types of actions as well. Which it can be very important depending on which path you take. Right. Um, so that's what's going on on your ship. You, as the captain of your ship, have like an admiral card. And at the beginning of the game, you have two that you pick from. I forget about those. It has different goals for you. And it has different goals for you. Focus on different areas of the board. You're just trying to get to certain check marks, basically. And when you do that, you get more, I mean, meeples, but what are they? Assistants? Well, yeah. When you complete a goal, you get your assistant back. One of your assistants back. Well, you don't really get them back. They just, you get them. If you complete the goal to the highest standard, you get victory points and coins immediately. Yeah. And each one of those gives you the choice of doing a lesser checkpoint with just coins, or you can do the higher checkpoint and get victory points and coins. So for example, the bottom of the board has an explorer track on it. It may be if you get to the first uh, checkpoint on the Explorer track, you'll get two coins. But if you get to the second one, you'll get two coins and two victory points. That's Something a like very that. Fantastic example. Yeah. So that's your like admiral card. So those are sort of the things that you're trying to achieve, and it gives you like a uh, adventurous or like it gives you a little yeah. title at the top. Like of there's it one that heavily describe. rewards military, and it's called power. There you go. So it's like it's kind of like what your ambition is, I guess, or what's you know leading you to discover these islands. So the assistance that you get are used a few different ways. There are certain cards, which we're about to get to, that allow you to put those assistants into certain locations and then you can take a special action when your boat's there. Yeah. What else do you use well, your And the little dudes for? can be used for military power as well. Or, yeah, if you have like extra assistants, you can add... You oh, can yes, that's true. You can discard them for more military actions if you've chosen to align yourself. That's just one of the actions that's available to you. And I feel like there's something else that they... Sometimes you have a card that just has you pay them, right? But you don't actually... Yeah. Yeah. You, but they don't actually go anywhere. And then there's uh, the the four, like, buildings at the top of the board, each take an assistant. Yeah, that's another place where you have to... Yeah. You have yeah. to use your, um, use your assistant. So that's getting into cards. There's four cards at the top of the board, but they just stay there. One gets um, revealed every round. Yeah, and it's basically like an end game scoring, scoring condition. condition. Yeah. It's and pretty expensive. You have to buy into it and give a person to it. Yeah, it's 20 coins. It's typically yeah. 20 or 25 coins and a person. You only know one of them at the start of the game, and then as Kelly mentioned, they get revealed as the game goes on. Those cards are kind of community because everybody can. Just because someone, someone yeah. whoever goes to it first gets more victory points, but everyone can go to that. There is... A big deck of cards. There's um, two types of cards loosely. There's a brown bordered deck and a like light brown bordered deck. And when you set up the game, you shuffle the dark brown deck. You deal out cards. 
that's kind of your starting. And these are like people and things that are around sort of that you kind of invest into yeah. if we're going with like the theme of what's happening here. I can't remember sometimes a thing there's, that's a, they're mostly some, people, right? No, there's buildings. Like there's the harbor. Oh, right. There's like there people. Yeah. I so there's people and My buildings. Card. Yeah. There's people and buildings on these cards. So you start with um, six. And as we kept playing, we realized that that starting uh, dark bordered cards is kind of like a template for the what's going on in the game. So I would now say to anyone else that was playing this for the first time, look at those cards when you first start and make note of how many of each of those cards is in that brown border, dark, dark brown border deck. Right. Because they stack with one another. So you can have, there's multiple cards in there that there's are the six. same. We don't, you don't have to count. There's six. Well, not for every single card, though. Right. But there's a few of them that are the same, and they stack with one another, and they there's nothing where they begin to cancel out just because you have more than one. So kind of understanding that, I think, ultimately helped me understand where you can kind of get synergy and get momentum in the game. And, and you... Typically, because there's there's a number of cards where there's six each, and you're getting so many cards throughout the game, mm -hmm. you can look at those brown cards that have six versions of each and basically understand, okay, I'm pretty likely to get one. Like, if I'm looking for one of these, I'm, I'm probably going to get it. Right, right, right. You can, yeah, somewhat reliably. And you in that first hand, if you know there's six and you have three of them, it is kind of like... Well, there's, this is already something I can stack and really get far on right or away. Or keep your opponent from. Or you, I mean, they're inherently kind of going to be kept from it because you'll discard it otherwise. Yeah. So in with those dark brown cards, a lot of light brown cards, and you kind of take basically half of the deck of light brown cards, and that just gives you more variety throughout the game because you don't know exactly which cards are going to be in there or not. Really, village actions are mostly about cards, I would say. Yeah. Where you are well, going cards to, and getting money, cards and getting money, and then so military. You might, if you uncover military actions on your ship, well, you're you're listing a lot of stuff. It's a big game. It's a big game. So you can uh, you always draw back up to your hand limit. There's a ship upgrade that increases your hand limit from four to six. It's a good idea. And when you have village actions, you can choose to discard your hand for two coins, or just take a coin, or you can. Um, buy a card out of your hand. And you also have a little reserve. You have a three-card reserve that you can use as well on your ship. So you can buy a card from there or from out of your hand. And when you buy a card and play it, you get to use the benefit of that card, whatever it might be, uh, for the rest of the game. It could be something like a discount on future cards. It could be some kind of icon or symbol that is then permanently available to you. For the rest of the game, instead of having to find it on another card and and discard that card to use it, um, you can also get um, income or victory points, which is calculated at the end of every round. You yeah. get to use whatever your income is in both points and victory points. In yeah. coins and victory yeah, points. You can get both victory points on the cards and victory point income. Yeah. And there's also uh, one of the icons on the cards that you might see are these tokens. There's five different tokens, different icons on these tokens. And they themselves don't really do anything. It's just that if you have that token, it's kind of like that you have that skill and that that skill will then unlock bigger bonuses on cards. Right. So for example, a lot of times those play nice with the income. So like you'll mm -hmm. you'll play a card and it says if you have the anchor, then this is worth four recurring income. But if you don't have the anchor, it's just worth two. Yeah. And, and then they typically don't have like the harbor has 
one that's four four recurring points if you have one of the icons, two recurring points if you have a different one of the icons, and then it gives you an anchor, but the anchor is not one of those icons. So, yeah, you're losing me, and I've played it. Yeah. So, these this is just yet another thing that's available on these cards. They also have two little icons on the side, and it's like goods and something else they call them different things yeah i thought they were the same the whole time i really never understood why there wasn't any corn on the bottom right there's like corn tobacco or sugar is the little top icon they're just real small along the left edge yeah and then the bottom one is like spy glasses a spy glass books a book and um some kind of plant so you may have to use those that's when you visit a city you discard one of your cards with the matching icon to take a disc off your map off your off your player board yeah so that's cards we're, we're getting through it. We've talked about how there's a gold income track or a money income track as well as a victory points income track. You get those at the end of every round. We have not talked about quests or the military influence or too much about the explorer track. I'm going to do the explorer track real quick. It's a, it's a long track with stuff on it. And as you move your explorer, which is an action you might find either on a card or somewhere on the board, you get to advance up that track the further you go on that track the better the things are sometimes there are quests on there sometimes there's victory points sometimes there's money i think maybe there's i think that's mostly what's on there there's some other stuff sometimes you right. get to take a disc off or something like that you want to talk about military yeah i mean so the, the military is typically an action that's not a village action you go to fight and instead of fighting you just represent one of the three countries i believe it's france spain yeah and it's England. like you fight with them you're like yeah you're like supporting their cause so you're basically lending them a hand you're, you have military actions that you build up over time when you go to fight you actually draw a, mil- a, a, a military token yeah and it's almost like you're you... seeing which one would benefit you the most to fight with it's kind of like yeah you've, like you've investigated all three like countries you might draw a token that 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 if you chose Spain would give you two fight power in addition to what you had, you might, and then that same token might give you four for England mm-hmm. and it might give you two victory points and two for France. You need to pick, do I want the victory points? Mm-hmm. Um, have I already been fighting with Spain and I'm just a higher level yeah. with them, which is going to give me more points at the end of the game or whatever. So you, you pick a country after you've seen the card mm-hmm. to, to fight, uh, to fight with, and then you can use military actions. And primarily speaking, like what you're basically trying to do is have six, I, I mean, there's lots, yeah. there's lots of it, but like the most yeah. common thing you're going to do is have six is have six, and then use two of those to just gain an influence. So basically you're moving your marker up on the track. There's like 12 spots that you're trying to get to the, the entire game. Mm-hmm. And then the other action is to put one of their cubes onto the board in a city, which typically comes with like an immediate reward of victory yes. points or coins. Yes. Um, and as those cubes get taken off of the top part, yes, that they increases. reveal in-game scoring that mm-hmm. gets multiplied based on how far you're on the track. So mm-hmm. if you did 12 influence, you get six times the number of points on the board. So like, let's say if you get 12 influence, you're probably going to score in like the neighborhood of 60 points for that because the, like there's, I think the maximum that you can score. I don't remember, but you, it, it is because you're multiplying and you're taking more and more off. Yeah. It is more and more points the higher you get up that track, especially if you're the highest. You can kind of follow someone up that track and you'll also get some points. Right. But it is multiplied by, it's like, a, uh, it's roughly half the number of cubes that came off. Right. I think it's like Multiplied seven. by the the checkpoint that you reach on that track. And the highest checkpoint is six. Yeah. At 12, it's six. It's six X. And I think if you take every cube off of the board, I think it's seven. 
and then you add two because that's the one that's winning. Because that's the one that's winning the most. So then it'd be nine times six, which would be the highest you could score from military. Okay. But unless you're going whole hog on military, you're probably scoring twenties and thirties on military. Yeah, and I think if you, if you get 20s and 30s, you can kind of say that, yes, I've participated in this, and hopefully you won't fall too far behind someone who may have maximized. But yeah. it is, it because when you get to the top of that track, it's so many points, it's definitely something you have to keep your eye on if that's what your opponent is up to. Yeah. And then um, the quests are basically just little square tiles where you give something. Typically one of the little and two you tiny get a icons on the side, like the corn or the... Or the plant, yeah. or the book, or the spyglass. Yeah, some kind of discarding of cards. I, maybe they're money. These are, are they ever money? Or was that only in the campaign? Oh, I think some of them were. I think you could give money or even people at some time. Yeah. They're giving so, a little um, assistant. I think that's pretty much. That's how to play. You guys got it? You guys want to start right now? Oh, man. It's a lot. It's a lot. Y- so, you're going to want to read the rules. Now, we've kind of talked about how to play. Aaron, how do you win? So, I feel like that there's six activities that really you can drive synergy with in the game. And I've, I've written them down, but I'm going to go without looking at my notes just for fun. Okay. There is military action. Yeah. There is questing. Mm-hmm. There is exploring. Mm-hmm. There is generating recurring coinage. Coinage, okay. That's a special technical term. I hated it. There is g- generating <laughs> uh, recurring points income. Yeah, um, and then there's basically one that I've forgotten off of my list. Was that only five? Um, yeah, I think that was five. Because I think I originally I, uh, had those five, and then we, in discussions, added one. I wasn't counting, if so I'm, I'm going to like, be honest. So I have to look at my notes yeah. and basically... I make... wish I had something to fill in here while you Oh, look, sh- but... ship upgrading is the thing. But, I mean, the ship oh. upgrading really kind of permeates all of them. But there are... There's yeah. a specific path where you can uncover three, six, and then ten points on your ship. And I think if that's... If you're doing some of the other things, like you really want to head in on that. And I think what I kind of noticed in the sixth and seventh game is, and, and Kelly was trying to like work out what we were playing a lot is, do you have to do any one of these things in order to win? Yes, that was huge for me early on because you were winning. You were winning different ways. I was still like kind of trying to understand, because there are points kind of everywhere. There's points smattered on these cards and you're, you're picking up all over the place. I was trying to figure out is there one place where like the points are effectively more valuable? Like, do you need to do the military stuff because you just won't make it up? You won't make up the point difference otherwise. And the answer was no, no. As far as we can tell. Basically, I think you need to pick two. So if you're going to go all the way down the Explorer track and do some questing, there's some nice synergy there. Mm -hmm. You can do that. If you want to try to maximize your ship upgrading and then focus on recurring points, you can score a lot of points that way. If you, But I, I think the one exception to the rule, which I thought of as we were preparing for this 17th recording of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if you want to take four turns around and do heavy military, you're going to be able to get to the end of a military track. Four turns around heavy military. Okay. Okay. You're gonna want. You're gonna be able to get to the twelve on a, on a track. You're probably gonna score maximum points. Probably gonna score sixty three points on military on one of them. Okay. And it's gonna be really hard for everyone else to get their engines cooking, because the other th- military is the one thing that you can kind of do on a on a fast play, and that's the thing. Then if you're choosing to go fast and everyone else has to be beholden to your speed, people can't mess with you as much. I think if you and were... everyone's gonna hate you and you're gonna win. Well, this isn't a great gameplay experience. I think it may be possible, and this is just like 
I'm guessing. If you could get to the end of the Explorer track and you could buy all of the, I don't remember what the guy's name is with a card that gives you a discount. If you could get all the card that gives you a discount, that alone, you, you keep paying less and less for each one of them, which is fantastic. Right. And then that alone is 18 points. Yeah, Just I don't think it's a guy's guys. name. I think it's like a market is the name of that card. There's a dude on it. Oh, well, there you go. He looks like, this is no pun included, point out, he looks like Jimmy Carr. Uh, maybe it's the broker. I I don't know. It doesn't matter. We it, don't know. I, I don't know. Jimmy Carr will give you minus one yeah. every time that you buy him. So that's another thing you can do kind of fast if you can if you have if you started with those though. It'd be hard to try to get through the deck and have them. But yeah. one 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 of the games we played, I started with a few I mean, of them. I think if we played a game where you also, said to pre-term, predetermine like let's say I said, Hey Kelly, do the strategy and let's see if I can beat it. I think that in order to overcome it, I would have to just put as much influence as I could on the track you were advancing on so that you didn't beat and me. And then that's not very, that's not bad. Yeah. So I think, I, I think that's the way to play the against person, it. The person, here's the thing about the military track, which I, it took me a long time to figure out or just to realize, I guess. The person who is making headway, if they're actually pulling those cubes off, they have to spend more military actions to pull those cubes off. Right. Now you're only ever going to it's not the kind of game where you can just always choose to take a military action. You have to be in a place that has it. Right. So that is naturally limiting. When you are following up behind that person because you're not trying to take off cubes, you don't have to spend as much necessarily to be moving up that track. Yeah, you don't need to spend as much military action. You might get a card that helps you do that as well. You need to do that though. Like you're going to have to stop and fight. You have to stop and fight, but if you, I think there's something on your board you can take off. Maybe there, I think there's some cards as well, yeah. like an assistant you could have. Yeah, there's there's different ways to get influence, and that would allow you to maybe get influence more often. Because I know there's one where you can do it at a, a ta- like at your person. Yeah, there's an and assistant. So then you would have that if the other person had decided to do this military thing, you can follow closely enough behind them. I think to negate some of those points and then with the savings that you maybe have maybe you could be able to get some other points i'm not saying every time right i'm just saying that there might be some space there if you follow them up now if you're playing in a game where the people have either decided to or just aren't playing fast that's where the recurring cash and the recurring points can get really fun and i separated them because there's basically two kind of sets of cards like there, there's legit a set of cards that play nice with one another that allow you to get your coin income really really high and it wouldn't be a viable way to win in my opinion except you do get some victory points for getting to the highest levels and then one of yeah. like the end of game goal cards allows you to double those points and if you can do that so especially you're doing if very well there's one of those end of game one of those four end of game goal cards is there when you start right yeah yeah there's one at the beginning so i think there's something to be said about how to win kind of taking in what you start with i was under the impression that there was more luck in it because aaron was getting some starting hands that just matched up with everything very nicely and i think that's something to consider but as we played more it's not the end all be all you don't have to have that in order to it, – it helps, but you don't have to have that in order to be competitive and I think even win because there's going to be a lot more that happens and comes up in the course of a game. Well, I think because there are six different major scoring paths and basically what I've kind of felt like is you can pick any two of them and if you do those things well, 
you're going to be competitive. You're it doesn't matter what cards you get. I mean, it matters a little bit. Like oh, it's it, nice to it get. Still it, it's nice to get some synergy in those cards, it but you can matters. kind of look at those cards. Because if you get a lot and, of expensive cards, I mean, you just dump them. But it, I think it is hard if you don't really. When you get your eight cards at the beginning, you discard three of them. You keep four in your hand. You put one on your board, which means you would have right. to buy it at, at some point. So. The one that you intend to buy, it makes sense to put it on your board so that you could dump your whole hand without consequence and get two coins if you wanted to. Yeah. Of those five cards, I think if you get a lot of pretty expensive cards, because money's usually very constrained at the beginning of the game, that is fine, but not as great as starting with... Oh, you don't want expensive cards to start the game. There's well, that, like Aaron, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, no, but you have to cycle through. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, but I, I didn't play enough. I didn't play very many games where I felt like I didn't have. I feel like the variety in the cards, the number you get at the because you get eight, eight. cards to look at, There's and you get to keep maybe. four plus one. So, uh, but there are like some super combos. Like there's a set of three cards, and it's been too long since we've played for me to say it now. I know, yeah. But there's a set of cards where, and actually, this makes me think. There's a, one of, an additional way to win is is oh, by gosh, there's a lot, huh? throwing assistance onto the board and like just powering up. Because if you have a bunch of assistance, then your trip yeah. around the board is basically just going to have more cool actions to do. Now you have to you start with what two assistance, mm -hmm. so you have to make sure that you're getting more assistance to be able to do that. Right. And then you also... Which slows you down a bit. Which slows you down a bit because you, you have to get them from somewhere. And um, just as a side note of yet another rule in this game, if you pass your assistant, you get two victory points. Right. So you might get so many assistants down that maybe if you get four assistants down, let's say, someone may in the given round in four... Um, in four right. turns. So you might pass some of your assistance because you just need to take some other action besides the ones right. that they offer also, you. And you get victory points when you do that. There, like there's there's a couple power assistant combos. And one of them, I, I never got to it in an actual game, but it would be awesome if you did. But there's a, a, a power combo where there's like three assistants that are shatter, scattered around the board. And when you go to them, you oh, take they, an action and, they let and you then you go move. forward any number of spaces and then take an action where well, you land. Not and if any you number. It's one to three. It's one to three. Which is what's tough. They have, there's like four of them that where you could string together and like go halfway around the board in one turn taking four actions. Right. That would be like, if you start with that, I mean. And it, I don't remember they're if cheap those enough are. Too, they're cheap enough too that you'd be able to get those on the board in the first round and then be doing that every round. But I think those might be light brown bordered cards. Oh, so they're not always going to be wouldn't, in. They wouldn't always be in there and you would never start with them in your hand. Oh, right. And when you, as you're playing, there are four cards that are like in the market, like that are face up. Yeah. That you can choose to draw. You have to pay by default to draw those instead. So when we played, we very rarely took anything out of that market. Out of all those 11 plays, I mean, maybe 11. I don't even know that we averaged a card a game that we took out of the market. No, I think we underutilized it perhaps, especially a couple times I felt like... I should have done that. I should have given up a coin to get the icons I needed to do other actions, and I just didn't think of it. Yeah, I think I definitely did it more than you did, but I don't know that it really brought me the wealth and success that I would have hoped for. And I think I can kind of end the how to win section by yeah. saying the one thing that, that I kind of underutilized throughout the campaign, I only tried it once. I lost the game, but I, it doesn't, I, I think it's a viable solution, mm -hmm. Was it was questing. Um, oh, yeah. Like, if you get compasses, a lot of times whatever the whatever the There's reward for completing the quest, yeah, whatever the reward for completing the quest is, 
it's the number of compasses you have is like yeah, so, the multiplier. But then you have to kind of be focused on you that. You be getting more compasses. You know how like when you play a big Euro game and there's a line of strategy where you just feel like, oh, when I do this, I'm just never quite where I want to be. That's how I always felt about quite. Like I just never but wanted to give the reason. No, I didn't win the game that I quested. Yeah, you did. Oh, did I win that game? Yeah. It turns out you can win by questing. There you go. All right. There's lots of ways to win. I, the, I will say on the ways to win because I didn't... I think you had a beat on this game earlier than I did. I think you did happen to have some early, like some starting hand synergies. At one point, we switched starting hands just to see what the other person and would do with the same game, hand. I had a better starting hand. Yeah, and I think that often you did because I was like, these are the typical starting hands that I'm getting. But it's still not everything. When I did win a game, I can't remember which game it was, but I won and I was like, I don't even understand how I did this. I say that to try to kind of illuminate that for me there's there was a lot going on and I think that as I started to understand and find the synergies like it took me a while I there was a moment where I was just trying again this is maybe like game six I'm trying to like get closer to knowing when I pull this lever what happens when I push this button what happens and I was looking at the board and I was like okay I would need this exact card and I looked down at my hand and it was just already in there there's something about recognizing it. I, for me, it took a while to recognize what I, what was and was not valuable. It wasn't in a way that I found fulfilling. It was a way that, in a way that I found sort of annoying. And that's why I say, look at the demographics of that starting deck that you deal out of and just understand that before you start playing, instead of trying to learn it as you play, like just yeah. organize those out and see what's going on there because for at least for my type of if if you're someone who plays like I do and understand games like I do it's not rewarding to be figuring that out during the game I think you have no problem with that well and I think the what we haven't kind of touched on but about starting hands is the board has a like the, the board changes per playthrough yeah, there's just a few little cities that have different and tiles on them I think it change. does have an effect over optimal strategy yeah in a pretty meaningful way depending on what is going to be rewarded that game sometimes there's different numbers of spaces to fight so there might be a, a playthrough where the military is not as possible and on top of that which is going to transition us very nicely into the campaign the campaign itself will add new tiles to the board and change the way the paths are and as perhaps well. allow you to supercharge and score over 200 points like kelly did i don't even remember what was happening then though well i just was talking about how you scored 200 points and this I is didn't... true this is true this is true this was a point of contention on the first recorded podcast oh. that is now yeah a lost episode so the campaign itself will give spoiler warning here but honestly it's not much. Either you're going to play this game or you're we not. Won't, we won't spoil. There's one good story point in the entire damn thing. We won't talk yeah, about that. Yeah, we won't, we won't talk about that. We'll just talk about the basic um, kind of setup of what you're doing and how much we felt that did or did not affect the game. So the basic setup is that there's some kind of epidemic going around the Caribbean and you are helping a doctor find and produce the cure for that. The story was fine but Ish. it was just the thinnest pretense for kind of walking you through the different tiles that would augment the board 
they did not augment the board in terribly exciting ways, in my there opinion. There were a couple things that I got excited about in terms of board augmentation. Okay. One thing. Oh, later on. Later on, there were some things and was like, oh, like there was one that like allowed you to like. Base open up new locations. Right. Well, there was one that, that gave was you like plus three to your fight action, but you had to be so far on the explorer track. So it like rewarded the balance of exploring and fighting, mm-hmm. which is actually, I think, one of the tougher combinations to explore and fight. Because mm-hmm. uh, typically mm-hmm. the explore spaces and the fight spaces are at the same place, and you have to pick one or the other. Mm. So, yeah, um, the campaign is a deck of cards, and you kind of like have a card that you reveal. You read a little bit of a story, and then it gives you an objective that you need to complete, like a quest. Yeah, so there's there's more quests on there. Yeah, in so general. the quests, like the terms of the quest, are printed on the card, and then you just have like a placeholder token that you put in the location. So you're kind of trying to go to a place and bring the things to that place that it needs. So it makes enough sense as far as what you're doing. And it should slow the game, like it should discourage slow gameplay, so you can get through the story, which kind of makes that ram rush military thing I talked about earlier probably less possible, unless you don't want your co-players to like you. Yeah. Unless you have no interest in the campaign and you have to, yeah, someone this has to not plead a, you. This is not a, bio, a biographical. Please. Yeah. So, but to that point, and I think it's completely valid to say that the story wasn't so engaging that you felt compelled to like finish it either. It very well, I mean, much was adding I've, a layer I, of errands. I felt compelled to finish it because it wasn't compelling. Well, like, let's just get this thing done. Because otherwise, yeah, we were like, oh, we're going to play this. We're going to play through the campaign. But you can just play game after game and not advance the campaign. Now, we were not, we would not have played 11 times without that campaign. No. And, and we would not have understood the game like we do now. And I can personally say, like, I don't love it. Now that I know it, it's just so much more tolerable. But I never would have played this 11 times. I would have gotten to time, like, around four. four. Oh, you were done with it. Oh, I was pretty well done. I think you were done with the game and with me, so I'm really kind of glad we made a rally. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm just a completionist, so I wanted to get through the campaign and say that the campaign was done. And I was like, I was a little done with it then, too, mostly because I was done with you being done with me. But as we continued <laughs> sure. to play, I it got, it got really better. enjoyed this game. Yeah, and I think that... You know, do you put a campaign in your game so that people will be tricked into playing 12 times and end up kind of liking it? Like, something about that doesn't feel great. I mean, this, I don't feel like it needed the campaign for that. I mean, you and I are different game players. I would prefer to basically deep dive every game like this and play fewer games. Yeah, and I think that we've been turned, well, I should say I've been turning over our collection for the better part of the year. I started the year by wanting to play every game that we had. And then that kind of also prompted me to realize there were a lot of those games that I didn't want to keep. Going to Gen Con this year and just in general, we discovered a lot of games throughout the pandemic as we played online. So having discovered more in different kinds of games, I was looking to change the collection of games that we had on hand. So I think it is more likely true that in the next year, way more than the last year, We'll be kind of doubling down more on games, playing them more often, and I think still finding out, like, is this great or is this maybe not so great? Right. Yeah. But I think this would not have happened without the campaign. So for that yeah. reason, I'm grateful for the somewhat crummily reviewed by us campaign because I yeah. really enjoyed the game. And I think the campaign also encouraged at the end, like some of the board manipulations toward the end 
encouraged us to learn different paths through the game. Yeah, and I think that maybe that should have just been a little more present. I think if it had been kind of forcing you as you played the campaign to more heavily go down those different paths and like artificially either changing what you got from everything or, you know, if there was something, I felt like if there was something more like on a given campaign chapter to be just like, heavy heavy military and like you just max out that military track because of something about the campaign i wanted the campaign to be pushing you to the edges of the game of what was there right and i felt like it barely strayed from the middle of that there were only a couple things that that really kind of pushed you one way or another i will say though it did make questing more lucrative if you were going to focus on questing there were just more of them yeah 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 and that's a little bit also how we play because again we were amending things so that we could play a little faster because some of those early ones we did it in 11 people say you can do it in 12 but some of those early plays we weren't making much progress on the story at all no somebody was rushing through the game i think they were just someone was just concerned with points so yeah there's only so much if and i think maybe it would also be different to do the campaign with four players because you just have four people going through every round. Yeah, and occasionally they would adjust the campaign to make it like longer or harder to get to for four yeah. players, but not all the time. And not like a ton. Like no. there wasn't there wasn't a lot more going on there. I don't I don't think to the point. I think it still would feel different at two and four. I don't think they adjusted it so much that it would feel the same. But I think for me, in terms of being a game that has some pretty clearly defined ways to win that are pretty numerous. And then being able to basically win on any path. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I was mm-hmm. able to, if, even if I didn't win a game, I was able to be highly competitive in scoring basically any path I chose. And mm-hmm. that, for me, makes it... A lot of times you'll, there'll be a game where there's just, like, a way to win. And when someone does that, you're if someone does that way to win well, you can't beat them. and Or you have to do that same thing. And right. this is not that game. No. And there is one of the things that we talked about more as time went on and as we kind of like rehashed our experiences i think that there's a lot of timing in this game and it's not only because someone you know the people you're playing against can change how long a given round is there's an element of timing and this is how i felt when i when i said like i don't really know the first time i did win i didn't really understand what happened i felt like i was just playing along with the music that was the game so that sense of of timing in the musical sense of this being the moment when I should do this thing and understanding that like, because we, we had been talking about the Explorer track and you said that you would do the Explorer track early and it was kind of slower. And I said that almost by default, I would wait till I had cards that allowed me to move more spaces on the Explorer track at once. And I would knock out the entire Explorer track in like one, maybe two, like two ish rounds and not even two full rounds and just bolt to the end because there becomes a value to the timing at which you do things on top of the actual value of the action or anything else. So I uh, complained that I felt like this game was a really convoluted Euro version of the mind. And the mind is a card game where you just have numbers in your hand. Everyone has numbers in their hand. And you're trying to play down the numbers in order without talking about it. So basically, my opinion of that game is if you played with musically inclined people, that they would just start to have a certain beat. They would have a certain tempo. 
and they would all be playing their cards to that tempo and they'd just be counting to that tempo and all playing them out perfectly, which is why I think, is it a game? I think there's something about Maracaibo and it's making me realize there's something about that. There's other games that conform to this too, where there is this sense of shared timing and it's not so much of what you do or how fast you go on a given round, but it's kind of this overall playing of the music of turns and actions where as we got into it more, I was understanding when I needed to go faster, when I needed to go slow. I was understanding the tempo that I needed to have and when actions were more valuable or more on beat and when they were more discordant. Right. And I think a lot of that is dependent on who you're playing with. Yes. So even yeah. Though, I think that part is entirely. And not necessarily who you're playing with, but what they're doing. What they're doing, yeah. And then I think what I, I mean, I would kind of re-say what you're saying in a different way, but I think it's the same point, but just thought mm-hmm. of from a different perspective, mm-hmm. which is I think the game is entirely about economy. And I think what seems like... And there's a couple different things in that economy. One of them is time and one of them is money. And I think what you're trying to do is make sure that you have enough time and enough money to do the things that you need to do to just score more points than the other person. Because because you can play slow or fast, like 130 can be a great score. Or Yeah, that's... Or 200 could be... And I think... That's worth mentioning, We yeah. didn't play in a way where we were scoring above 200 regularly. But I think in a game group... Some people could always be doing that because if you if you are all going slower, you're just... That's giving everybody more time to work their way up the military track. It's giving yeah. everybody more time to play more cards. You yeah. just end up getting more actions and, earn and more, more revenue. Points. Yes. I think we've thought of money differently in this game. When you get to the final... Th- when you get to the final spot in a round, if you get there first... You can well no everybody at the everybody. very end everybody. can can buy a card which is usually a village action but it's just in kind of in between before you start the next round there's a few different things that you can do kind of pro- procedurally you can buy a card or you can take two victory points and so for a while there it was like oh well I want to make sure I have enough money when that opportunity comes up to buy that card but really depending on what's going on. You to take the two points is fine. You don't just because you have the opportunity to buy that card. It's not with the timing of everything else. It's not as necessary as it initially felt to me, anyways. I felt like it was necessary in this way. Like there, there are times when I intended and took the two victory points on purpose, but typically, as I was nearing the end of a round, if I could buy a card. Or, I mean, just a really easy example. Let's say I get to the last, my last turn of the round, and I could buy a card or take a coin. But I only had enough money to buy one card, and that card wasn't going to get me recurring points at the end of the round. I would just take the coin and then buy the card with the extra action. So I, I would, you know, just, I would not, because I felt like a lot of times if you don't have enough money to buy a card at the end of the round, it's because you wasted a buy action earlier in the round when you didn't need to buy that card. And I felt like that wasn't always true because of the way the assistance worked. Oh, there's definitely times when it's not true. Yeah, okay, okay. That's just in general. Yeah, and I'd be I feel trying like... to avoid taking that 2VP. Yeah, I feel like if I, wanted the, if I wanted the cards I had and then I had two actions... And I had the money to buy the card that I wanted to play. It didn't so much matter whether I did it then or whether I did it at the end. Because if I 
if the other action that I took instead didn't get me two VP, it did not matter. Mm. It depends. I feel like the fact that you paused is validation enough as she did you not are. she did not edit the pause in no oh well i guess i'll have to leave it in the edit i'll have to yeah. i'll have to make sure not to edit it out oh yeah that's and it was a it wasn't even that long of a pause but from you that's saying a lot okay so in all of that did we like it i don't know if we liked it i loved it okay so you loved it i think it is 8.9 on BGG. I don't actually have a BGG account, guys. No, I kind of run. We we technically have one that's like She's our collection. She's not putting 8.9. No, no. I'm and I log all my plays in it. You don't really. Yeah, you're not necessarily playing things. I don't in so general low. log things on the internet. Okay, let's not get into that. You think 8.9? Sure. What would you rate Catan? Just so because you don't usually rate things. <sighs> That's, I mean, that's not, I'm just rating Catan a no. 10 because of my well, heart I'm just making and my love. No, that's fine. I'm just making yeah. sure. So you would rate that a 10. What would you rate like Azul? Ooh. You know what it turns, I hate rating things. Uh, Azul would also be, I don't have as much fun. I, I think Azul is a seven okay. for me. I just feel like, you, you know, you give a couple so that it's put into oh, context. Yeah. It's put into context. I don't think that I like this game. There is a, yeah, Aaron's making a shocked face at me, but it's not very shocking at all. There is an expansion coming out that's going to have a co-op sort of thing to it. And I'm interested in that. In playing through this, I see how that could be possible. I was kind of like asking for a little bit of co-op help on the campaign pretty often in this one. And there is a solo mode in this game where you play against an AI. I do usually like to try a solo mode. Typically, Solo mode is where I spend more time playing it to understand how one thing feeds into another. In this case, we played this 11-game campaign. I think that, like, I get it, and it's fine. It's just, at the end of it, a bunch of cubes. What is any game? Yes, a lot of games are a lot of cubes, but I feel like, and this is something that I've mentioned in our other discussions, it's the same kind of colonizing Thing. So it's a theme that you're seeing less of, I think, because of some pressure of we're colonizing a thing or we're kings or we're dividing up this land and influence. As I, I know I mentioned to you, there's a card that's just called Native, which feels... Oh, there's less a card called great. Native in this game? It feels less than great. You know, I'm really so good at abstracting. Though. Like, I'm not I really think... thinking of this as a colonizing game, and now you're making me sad. And I think that that's really the good intention of Alexander Fisher who made this game. And I don't know how much he even has to say about the theme. He may have just made it as literally cubes. You know, maybe he knows nothing about what this theme is or even, like, really cares. And I think that a lot of people do just abstract it, and it kind of, it kind of doesn't matter. And I think I like when the theme helps it all make more sense, even if it's just the setting, because people will say setting versus theme, they're not always the same. If the setting helps pull it together, then I appreciate that. I just think that, uh, I don't know. It, I, I feel like you, you it, it does work really well together. Now I understand what you can push and pull and how everything works, but it, it is not like a streamlined sort of No, you'll often game. criticize bigger games for feeling like when they made the game, they checked it, it wasn't balanced, and they just add another element until it is balanced. Yeah, I, I can I, kind of feel like they just keep I adding I don't feel things. like that's this game, but I can see how one would feel that way. 
Yeah, and I don't know that it's this game either. There's something about the way, I think just the deck setup kind of annoys me. I don't- That is dumb. That's the. It's, that's why it's not a 10. I don't like big, but I think you need it to be that way. And that's why I think understanding what the dark brown bordered cards have on them was a big deal for me. And I think that it's kind of helping me understand what I don't like about big deck of card games. Wingspan's a big deck of card game, which is the one I like the most. And again, that doesn't make sense either. Like, it's nice that there's birds on it. I think that's pretty and wonderful. But like what you're doing on your tableau doesn't like inherently. There's nothing about birds where it's like, well, yes, now we process all of our birds in a line, you know, like we do in the aviary. In nature. And then uh, Terraforming Mars is another big deck of cards game. And... Something about those I like inherently kind of don't, I kind of don't like. Yeah, I, I think most card games that require me to separate the entire deck into two different stacks at the end of the game and then recombine them before the start of the next game. Honestly, Kelly did all that work. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I did. I did. And I just think, um, yeah, I think there's that whole timing thing. There's understanding the value of the cards is not necessarily appealing to me. I think that obscuring sort of how everything works together is also not very appealing to me. Did I like it? I think as a summary, no. But do I think that it's a valid, like it's pretty high, it's pretty highly rated. And I think people are used to playing this kind of game. I think they like games by this designer. I think some people find comfort in they're going to remove the abstraction and then they're going to be able be the one to win every time while it remains abstract for others i think people feed into that and like that because they will be the one in their game group who can win with military who can win with the explorer jack who can win like you're listing the ways to win and i think kind of pulling that apart a little more and shedding a little more light on it i don't know that's what i th that's what i think about this and i don't know if that's just I don't know if that's purely, I don't know how objective that is. So I think that's my thing. Right. I think that might I don't be know just... how objective my opinion of this game is and how super subjective it is. So I don't know how if the things I'm saying are really only about kind of me and then maybe a few people like me, or if this is something objectively true about the game and then people's perception of that objectivity is really where you fall. Right. I'm not sure. Your perception of the game might be as much colored by how you play games as it is how, by how I play games. We played it together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to episode 14 of Board Games with Variant Hex. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Twitch, all at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. Have you played Maracaibo? What was your opinion of it? We'd love to hear from you at any of the platforms I've just mentioned. The next episode will be quite a bit lighter than this one, but I'm sure we'll do more deep dives like this one as time goes on. Aaron and I just played Fields of Arl for the first time. It was nothing like this. It was nothing like Maracaibo, but I bet we'll have an episode about that one too. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today.